Eight powers in my school. Wow. It is a true pleasure to meet you. I'm just a huge fan. Uh, Terrence Cutler, principal. Oh, big boss man. Okay. <laughs> well, when I heard that you were going to be subbing here, I, I almost lost my mind. Well, that's good for you. Well, yeah, there's something you need to know about, Kenny. Uh, you're not the only athlete here at Jeff Davis. I happen to be training for a triathlon right now. So doing a lot of running and uh, cycling, swimming. Well, you know all about that. No, actually, I don't. I play real sports. I'm trying to be the best at exercising. <laughs> Are you worried that recent events have derailed your retirement plans? It certainly made us reassess all aspects of ours. And that's why we're proud to offer our listeners a chance to work with David McClellan, a fiduciary financial advisor from Forum Financial. David's practice specializes in financial life coaching and retirement planning. And right now, he's offering free consultations for our listeners if you mention the podcast. As part of this consultation, David can help you understand your financial freedom number and what that means to you in assessing your future financial plans. If you want to build wealth, if you want to make optimal decisions within your financial life, David is someone you need to talk to. You can reach him at 312-933-8823. Once again, that's David McClellan at 312-933-8823. He's located in Austin, Texas, but he's got a nationwide clientele. Do yourself a favor and get some great financial advice for free and see if you might want to work with Mr. McClellan. I think you'll be happy with your phone call. All right, back to everyone gets a trophy. Back from Lubbock. We're still licking our wounds. And joining me during the football season, no less, is my closer. It's Randy Boone. Randy, man, thanks for joining me again. I really appreciate it. Hey, no problem, man. Glad to uh, glad to be on. Glad to see you again and talk to you. I uh, guess everybody else is busy or something, but uh, that's fine. I'll take it and we'll, yeah. we'll chat a little bit. <laughs> I mean, I, I told you you're my fifth choice. Uh, yeah, that's, I'll take it. I, I walked in the bullpen and I was like, uh, oh, he's got that shoulder thing. Uh, he's pitching tomorrow. And I was like, all right, Boone, I guess. Can you give us three innings? And you're like, yeah, I can do it. I've been waiting. That's about how my career was. So, yeah, sure, I can pitch. <laughs> I'm available. Dang. Availability is a talent. <laughs> yeah, availability is an ability, no question. Hey, obviously, uh, Randy likes to pour mouth his skills. But so I'm going to draw on your other skill set because lest we forget, aside from being a, a high-level pitcher and a national championship baseball player at Texas, you were a good high school quarterback. Good, good's probably a good way to uh, to state uh, that. But uh, I, I didn't say but yeah. I mean, we it. we had some good teams, and uh, I had a fair amount of success. All right. I feel like I understand the game a lot better than I probably was good at it. But um, it well, was uh, it was a good time. What's funny is you. Re it's kind of like the thing where uh, you know guys always do the man. If I knew if I knew in high school what I know now, man, I would have just killed it with the ladies, right? But of course, you could kind of do the same thing with sports. Right. Oh, you definitely. Get a, you get a little perspective and, and you're like, man, if I knew kind of what I understood now about sports or team psychology or even just X's and O's, man, I could have killed it. Uh, but you had a pretty sophisticated understanding of football, even at a young age, didn't you? Uh, yeah, I mean, I grew up watching it, you know, around family and friends and stuff like that. So, I mean, I, I was glued to the TV pretty much Saturdays and Sundays growing up. Um, and then um, I think we hit on it a little bit. You know, our, our offensive system in high school was was a fairly complicated uh pro style i um offense where i i did have some you know ability to to call some things at the line of scrimmage and get us some correct running plays and stuff so 
you know, I had to understand defenses and stuff to do that. Um, you know, a lot of our, uh, a lot of our fail safe defaults were typically run plays, So I didn't have a whole lot of leeway to do anything in the passing game, but every once in a while we'd, we'd run up against a coverage that, you know, I had something where I could, you know, audible out of what we were in and get into something that we thought we could take advantage of stuff. So like I said, I mean, it was a by no means complicated by today's standards, but, you know, back then it was a fairly, you know, complex offense. It was right when kind of no huddle stuff was really starting to kind of take off. So, Randy, I want to quiz you and, and draw on those quarterback skills and that ability to read a defense. And I want you to imagine for a moment, I know you're a diehard Longhorn, you're a Texas Tech Red Raider. And you're the quarterback and you stroll up to the ball and it's, it's just, let's just say it's fourth down, Randy. And if it's fourth and four or less, I bet you're going to spread it out and run a quarterback draw. And if it's fourth and four or more, I bet you're going to spread it out and throw a very short pass, which is the same short pass you were throwing on first, second, and third down. And I bet about 75% of the time you're going to get a first down and a new set of downs. What do you think about that, Randy? Yeah, man, it, it, it was frustrating. Um, you know, the crazy thing about it is, you know, we're like right there, almost there with some pressure a couple times. We're right there, almost there with coverage a couple times. But it seems like that's kind of been the recurring story of, you know, the, the last few years, this staff, last staff, whatever, on on blitzes and, and stuff like that, where it's just, I don't know if the timing's off or what but something's not kosher between between the blitz and the coverage or whatever and, and sark did in his press conference today it's not like you know we're coming up with some sort of earth-shattering deal that nobody can see but the fact that it's not fixed yet is kind of weird to me i mean yeah it is weird um it's weird too in that you know i watched tech play two games and it wasn't like preparing a scouting report on the freaking New England Patriots. I mean, I was like, well, the only thing they can do is throw short balls accurately. Uh, preferably, he prefers a receiver standing still looking back at him, you know. I mean, you yeah, you would think they had a pretty good book on Kitley from, um, you know, his previous stops on what he likes to do. And I mean, that that particular style of offense is – you know, ball control. Yeah, they'll take their shots if you give them to you. But, uh, you know, I mean, there, there's a kid from Victoria here, the uh, Bailey Zappi, uh, that was yeah. uh, his guy there uh, last year, ended up getting himself drafted. And I don't know if he ended up sticking with the team or not. Uh, so uh, we know the family a little bit. So I kind of followed his career and, and watched way more highlights of theirs than I ever would have. And, um, you know, he did it a little different with him. He was a little, you know, different guy, obviously, you know, um, the tech quarterback's a little bigger, a little more running ability, power running ability, at least. Um, but yeah, it's just, I don't know. It's, it was, it was frustrating to watch, honestly, because it just, and, and at one point you knew, I mean, they're, they're going for it on fourth down. I mean, once, I mean, you, you probably knew it pretty early, but I mean, once it happened, you know, on their own 35 or whatever it was in yeah. the first possession of the third quarter, I mean, it's it's they're going for it on fourth down. You you know you're playing four downs and not three. So well, and, and here's the things people are like, man, you know, it's not often someone goes for it eight times on fourth down. And I'm like, well, it's not often tech will do that. They got their first two times they went for it. Yeah. And you it's shut true. them down twice, they probably think harder about it, right? That's it. I mean, yeah. the way to stop and someone from going for it eight times on fourth down is have them go oh and three the first hmm. three times they try. Yeah. There's not gonna be number four. 
There's not going to be number yep. five. Yeah. That was and, frustrating. And if, and if you, uh, and if you go score after you stop them on the, uh, the one there in the third quarter where we went for it on fourth down and didn't get it. Yep. Uh, I mean, to me, that was the biggest play of the game. I, I thought that, you know, you had a, you had a chance to really put that thing away and unfortunately it didn't work out, but, uh, but no, you're exactly right. And I mean, anything like anything else, I mean, if you have success doing this, you're going to do it. I mean, it, I honestly watching the game, I thought they were running the ball a little bit better than their numbers at the end of the game. It, it just felt like they were getting maybe, you know, three and four every time they ran it. But, uh, you know, their numbers at the end of the game didn't really hold that to count. It's just, I guess they ran it well in situations where they had to. Yeah. I mean, so one of the things that, look, I was glad to hear Sark mention that the pressures aren't married up to the coverages. I mean, at least tells me he's seeing the same thing, right? And right. he's, you know, that's, Sark's a pretty professional by the line guy. Like he doesn't talk shit in his press conferences. And, you know, that's about as close as he'll get to calling out someone on the staff, I think. Uh, and yeah, no, I think I think the fact that he said it was for the media, but I, I think he wanted that out there for a reason. He, he's, yep. he's pretty measured in pretty much everything he does. I, I would agree with that, that I think it was a, a calculated statement for sure. Yeah, so and I think there's like a situational, I mean, sports, especially, I mean, baseball is probably the king of situational play, right? But football, I mean, modern football, there, you know, all modern defense is, man, is situational defense. It's yeah, it's it's more important than this in the spread era for sure. I mean, I mean it's, it's that's just you have to know what you're defending and and how. If if and, I was a DC, eighty percent of my snaps in practice would be red zone, and third and long, and maybe a little goal line, which kind of falls into red zone. Right. That's it. Yeah, that's, I mean, all that's, that's your money downs. That's where you make your. And I, honestly, I mean, that's. I mean, I guess at this point in time, you're pretty much, you know, clued in. I mean, that that's what Witkowski, that's what he's banking on that, hey, we're going to beat you on third down. You know, we're not going to get beaten by the big play and this and that. And they're getting beat on third down. So at some point, and it's, you know, something's got to change, obviously. I mean, well, I only guess it has to, but um, you would think something's going to change because, you know, sooner or later, it's just that it just can't keep happening. And, if you go back to the UTSA game, you know, they're a dropped fourth and one away from that being a lot tighter game there than what it was because they're going down the score probably to make it a one-score game, I think it would have been. Yes. Um, and even going back to the Bama game, their two or three crucial drops, well, I said drops, one would have been a tough catch but could have been caught for sure, and then one was a drop. Um, which they happen. It's an incomplete pass. I get it, but it, it changes the perspective a little bit to where it's it's not like this just popped up this week. I guess is what I'm getting at. I mean, it, they've been bailed out by some stuff so far. Yeah, and I think the disconcerting thing for me is I can be a little bit of a nerd, and I like the scouting aspect of football. Like, how would I game plan this team? You know, the book on UTSA, the book on Texas Tech are pretty straightforward, and. UTSA had, you know, I love their quarterback. Very dynamic dude. He played well. He was good. Their offensive line was severely compromised. And oh, I, don't, yeah. I, don't, I don't think we exploited it as well as we could have. 
And their first two drives, their first two possessions, Randy, just like against Texas Tech, they had 14 points. And UTSA's first drive was 20 plays. Texas Tech's first possession is 18 plays. And then their next possession is 13. And they get touchdowns on – I mean, and they're literally running the only thing that they've shown competency doing. Uh, I mean, NC State humiliated their offense the week before – uh, had a pick six, had three picks on Smith, you know, basically just completely befuddled them because they kept covering up those short routes and making them turn to page two. We never made them turn to page two. And it's an odd thing to see from a defensive coordinator. Yeah, I, I did see a little of that game. Their edge guys were getting after him too. Yeah. <clears throat> they got a lot more pressure off just with, you know, non-blitz, just edge guys coming off the, the you know, the coming off the corner. Um, but, yeah, I don't – without knowing what they're talking about during the week and, you know, what they're coaching and whatever, it's, it's hard to get into why that's happening, I guess, but it's, I don't know. I mean, you just keep seeing it and and it's, and it goes back to last year too, you know, the the opening drives is, I mean, I'd almost rather us come out and just zero cover everybody up and go completely off script against West Virginia and just bring the house and see if you can't just, create a turnover or something and, and get something going early on defense. And then maybe you can, you know, kind of mix and match some stuff, but yeah, it just, it's, it's, it seems strange to me. I don't, I don't know if it's a disconnect or, or what, or maybe the, you know, disconnect player coach or whatever, but I, I just, uh, to me, something's, something's got to change there or else. I mean, you're, you're dumping a lot of pressure on your offense to, to carry things, which once again, we get into the second half issues there. So. Yeah. Well, you know, one thing I've been trying to talk about is there's your scheme and then there's how you're playing the scheme, meaning right. as a player, what's your bias for action? Meaning if I'm playing off you seven yards, okay, I'm in off coverage, but if all my weights on my front foot and it's third and seven and you guys keep running this little curl six yards in front, you know, six yards out, I can be in off coverage, and the minute that ball is snapped and you start to take your steps on that curl route, I'm sprinting to the spot and to the ball. I'm not even paying attention mm-hmm. to you, and and I'm not in off coverage anymore. I'm that's being right. yes, and, and yeah, that's, and that's 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 yeah. something on, on the quarterback side. I mean, that's something we talked about a lot too. Is yeah, it it doesn't really matter if the guy's press man, five yards deep man. I mean, he can be fifteen yards deep quarters. Yep. If he's squatting on that and, and he's, you know, he he can make that play from multiple different vantage points. It's not like you have like, and I know people, fans kind of get bent out of shape about this. Like, Oh, I want to see him up press man. Yeah. But they miss a guy once and he goes right by him over the top for, you know, 70 yard touchdown. They're going to start complaining, you know, what are we doing? So you got to kind of take that with a grain of salt, but, like you said, you, you can play tight coverage in, in multiple different ways. Yes. And on press, another little thing I've been arguing about on the boards, and I, I'm not getting any argument about it anymore. Press doesn't mean how close you line up to the, to the receiver. Hmm. Press means do you impede their route at the you have to dis- Yeah. Are you disrupting their path? Are you firing a handout at his shoulder and turning him? And then as he's running – do you check him with your hip and start to guide him on the route you want him to run? Or are you making him round his route so that the quarterback, you know, that receiver, when he does his little in cut, 
it's at 11 yards instead of 13. Right. So your quarterback. Yeah, you're you're, you're following to where you want him to go. Yes. And and not letting him run the route like he did in seven on seven all week or, or that's, whatever. That's you it. Know, and the quarter and, and as you know, as a quarterback, you rep that stuff so much, especially in, in like those air raid systems. I mean, he's probably thrown those routes thousands of times right now. So if you run whatever this play is called on third and seven, and you're expecting him to be just outside the hash, push the backer turn, and it's five yards outside the hash. He doesn't push the backer, but I'm in memory mode. We're like, I've seen this defense before. He's open. Now he's in a different spot. Who knows? High throw, low throw. He's halfway through his throwing motion. The guy's not where he thinks he's going to be. He freaks out, sure. tucks it. You know, there's so many things that can happen if the guy is just, you know, manipulated in, in the smallest form or fashion from a quarterback standpoint. I just, you know, to me, and I'd really love to watch these things from a, either all 11 or like the back end zone cameras uh, to just kind of see, it's hard to tell from the side, whether that's happening or not. Um, I would assume it's probably not happening as much as you would like to see it just from, yep. you know, the results. But like I said, there's just, I mean, there's tons of plays where it's, you're just right. They're right there. Like the blitz was a step too late or, I mean, th there were times that we got, we got pressure. I mean, the defensive line, you know, I mean, I know they didn't have sacks or whatever, but I mean, they're pushing the pocket back on him. He made a couple throws where, yeah, you know, give it to him. But I mean, just too much of the same stuff, in my opinion. Well, and honestly, I don't. I you know, I think you can play winning defense a lot of different ways, right? Everyone loves the '85 Bears, right? Right. You're a little younger than me, so you don't remember them probably as clearly, right? The the Bear front was very much in in uh, in play in our district. There you go. <laughs> so so, so I, yeah, I'm eight, familiar nine with nine man boxes, right? Yep. And they're bringing it. The, and that was a dominant defense. The next year, you know who won the Super Bowl and played dominant defense? I know who won the Bears. The New York Giants. Oh, and yeah. all they ran was zone and Lawrence Taylor and Leonard Marshall and Carl Banks. Yeah. And they weren't bringing big blitzes. They were rushing for, and it was different ways, and they were playing coverage behind. And they tackled well, and they helped, they made you hold the ball. And if you held the ball... Lawrence Taylor was going to come you. and fracture your leg. So, you know, there's a lot of ways to, to get it done. And I got no problem with uh, a little bit of a conservative defense. Absolutely. In the 20s. But no, I mean, it, man, and, it's and certain when it's third and nine, like let's, let's change it up a little. Yeah. I mean, and certain quarterbacks and, and I mean, I, I was this way and I've talked to other people. I was much more comfortable against zone defenses. Um, I don't know why. But that happened. There was a another quarterback in our um, in our district that ended up playing at Baylor, um, Dane King, and uh, we ran combo coverages, and he kind of struggled against us because he did not really excel much against his own stuff. But he would torch Quero and the guys that ran man because they had really good receivers, and he just saw it, and it was easier for him. I'm not saying he couldn't complete passes against his own. That's just that's just how it came out. Yeah. So maybe there's some of that and we need to take into consideration of, like you said, you know, Tech's shown proficiency to throw some underneath stuff against zones. Let's, let's man up the underneath stuff. Yeah. See if, see if these guys can actually get separation, you know, against, you know, I mean, I know Overshone didn't play in the first half or whatever, but I mean, I, I don't even get your take on it, but 
were we better in the first half or in the second half on defense? Yeah, that's interesting question. So in the second half, I mean, the, ta- the tackling was kind of average, below average, probably the whole time. I haven't had a chance to rewatch the game, and I typically would have by now, but um, I just didn't think it was we tackled that well. It was better than UTSA. Uh, it, true. And I think as a percentage of plays run, the tackling was much better. Probably <laughs> like just in bad, in bad spots. <laughs> well, yeah, true. Let me get your thoughts on this because this is driving me crazy, Randy. So I, I do believe that there is complementary football. I think you do have to you have to play as a team and you have to consider how to protect parts of your team that are weaker, et cetera. But that's also contextual. The reason Texas Tech ran 100 plays is because the defense couldn't get off the field. It's, it's, and I'm reading people be like, sarcast to run the ball and sarcast. And it's like, hey, no, like save your own life. The life preservers right there, swim over, put it around you and start paddling to shore. Like, I, I the reason they ran 100 plays is because they ran 25 more plays after converting fourth downs. Right. That's what I heard that. Well, the deal. I mean, there's a quarter of your plays right there. That's just after fourth down, not throwing your third downs, which I guess most of the third downs turned into fourth downs. Um, but the, the argument where, well, Sark's got to run the ball, he did. And we went three and out and we gave him the ball right back. There you go. So, you know what runs the clock is first downs. Yes. And, you know, I mean, I, I get it. Yes. But, and that's a question for you on this one because sure. you're, you're probably more in tune on this one. Opening scripts has been un, like he's unbelievable. You might as well just pencil us in for a touchdown at this point in time. Like, yeah, is it illegal to run those plays again, or can we yeah. only run them once? Well, so dude, that is the interesting thing, right? Because it's it's you know you said this once and it it hit me about midway through the third quarter about you said it when you were talking about Tyler Orlando's defense about being you know it's a bunch of calls. Yes, we don't have an offensive system right now. They want to be a power running team. We're not a power running team with freshman offensive linemen and, and majors at center, in my opinion. It's got to be counters. It's got to be movement. It's got to be whatever. Yes. So I, I'd like to see, especially with Card in there, I'd like to see a little bit more intermediate passing game to be used as the running game. Easy completions, keep the clock moving. Because turning around and handing it off and having your running backs having to like pull off superhuman feats to gain one yard, yeah, it it it, it doesn't do any good. I mean, you can say, "Hey, we're trying to run the ball," but it's, it's not serving the purpose of running the clock because running it twice and then throwing an incompletion on third down runs what fifty five seconds off if you're lucky. Yeah, and you're not running it all the way down because you're you know. So. I, I once heard a, a story about Randy Johnson and um, he was like, I guess he was, he's in his development phase where he'd become fully Randy Johnson. And he, a pitching coach like pulled him aside. He was like, Hey, throw your slider. And he's like, well, I like to save it. I don't want to show it. And he goes, you throw a 94 mile an hour slider. You could show it all you want. Like, and I don't think it's analogous, but hey, we came out in that full house backfield. Keelan Robinson releases. They don't know who to cover. The, the turf monster yeah, almost got him on the 20, and he like staggers in like, like your one-year-old going to nap time. 
And then, yeah, no. but, you know, I'm not saying run that every play. I'm just I'm right. saying, let's let's run it again. And is there something we can do different off of it? I'm sure there's different options on that play. Maybe they cover him and the other guys open. Yeah. I mean, or, you know, I, or, you, know or you showed the same look. I know they showed, they showed the same look a couple of times. And, and like like you said, I mean, I'm not asking for us to turn into a diamond backfield 30 personnel team. Right. But I just – first play of the game, we shifted to empty five wide. Tech had one defender on the one receiver to that side. Yeah. The next guy was over the tackle. Yes. And I'm yelling at the TV, like, just throw the ball to Bijan right there. <laughs> like, and he ends up, and like, literally it. just throw it to him right there. Yes. Now he ends up catching a 15-yard out or whatever it was. And Yeah. But I, I don't recall ever seeing that formation again to see if they could line up in correctly to cover it. Well, so it's, it's so funny. I'm, I'm talking to you after uh, I, I coach my son's flag football team. They're all nine-year-olds. And, Bless you on that. Well, it's it's fat. We had a uh, we I was teaching them how to run a reverse today, and they uh, <laughs> they ran into each other in practice. It was awesome. Uh, but the crazy thing is, you can just take one playset and just create little wrinkles off of it over and over, and the the other kids never catch on. And you're like, well, they're nine year olds, you know, and they you can't make adjustments, which is true. You can. I, like, you know, I'll make little adjustments in a game and, you know, the parents are like, wow, that thing you did. I'm like, I told them to, I told my fastest kid to go man up their fastest kid and follow him wherever he went. That was my adjustment, like real genius. Right. But the parents are like, you shut them down with that. And I'm like, well, okay. But, you know, even as you go up levels in football, like make them show you, like prove it. Like, show me that you can line up correctly. Show me that you can stop this. Because yeah. I tell you what, Tech wasn't shy about running the same damn three routes. No. <laughs> I had, hate to get throwing into baseball analogies, but that's where I'm at. So um, I had a pitching coach tell me one time, if the scouting report on the guys, you can't hit the slider. And you throw a slider and he swings and misses and he steps out of the box. You know, he takes the breath and he readjusts his batting gloves and everything. He steps back in. He didn't just teach himself how to hit a slider. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Now, that being said, if you throw a really good slider and follow it up with a spinner right down the middle, it doesn't matter. He's, he's probably going to crush that one. Yeah. So there's some odds making in there to where you can't just beat it to death. Right. You know, maybe you throw the average one. You know, it's got to get better. I guess is the thing is my point. But that that, that was that always kind of stuck with me. Is you know, guys would be like, "Whew, okay, I got I got those two fastballs in on him." You know, now what do I got to do? Well, you're going to get him out fastball in. The only question is, do you want to do it now, or do you want to show him something and then go back to it? Because the scouting report over the last 100 games says he doesn't handle the fastball in. Him stepping out of the box and taking a deep breath didn't teach him how to hit it. Right. And that's kind of the same thing we're talking about. It's like it doesn't have to be every play, but hey, every every second series, throw that formation out there. Throw it out there and have a shift coming out of it if they do line up. Well, you know, okay, hey, they they lined up to do it. Let's, you know, whatever our signal is to get back into regular and we'll just turn around and run our 
you know, outside zone or whatever. But if they don't, we're going to throw the ball to Bijan because there's nobody within 20 yards. of. Well, and also, you know, you want to spice up the row cat, right? I mean, we got a little, we got a little repetitive on that one, but if you want to do that, run out there in that diamond formation, have Roshan Johnson run over to take the shotgun snap card goes out. Hey, the beauty of your, any, you know, you or I could run out there and tech has to put a, a guy to cover us. Right? right. And then all of a sudden let, you, you can let run alone a guy that used to be a receiver. Yes, exactly. But I mean, you can run option. Like there, there's oh, yeah. all sorts of different stuff you can do. And, and to your point, I, I think, uh, so look, I do want to be sympathetic to Sark on a couple of things. So Losing Xavier Worthy, there's a big debate in the offseason. Who's more important, Worthy or Bijan? I was like, well, it's Worthy by far. We have a replacement for Bijan. We, we got two. Once, when Worthy went out, the, it crippled the offense. I mean, that it's not coincidence that the Texas offense yeah. dominated that first half and then struggled in the second. And it wasn't just Sark running out of plays. Yeah, no, I, I made that same comment. And, you know, the response to me was, well, you got to have an adjustment that's not something you really just adjust on the fly. I, I, I'll get it. Yeah. Maybe in You've time, got a week. but it, it's tough to do, yeah. especially in a half, you know, if it happens yeah. in, you know, first couple plays of the game, maybe you get in, in but that's tough there. I mean, that's a big blow. It's a big blow of the offense moving forward period. If he can't yeah. play next week. I mean, but um, he mentioned it on the, the wildcat stuff today. And I'll agree with him to this point to where, they they're being i guess quote unquote multiple on it to where yes it's a different personnel packages it's different formations but it's still the same play and i mean it's yeah they may have three backs on the field they may not have you know it may be this it may be that but it defenses are still coming after that lead power you know whatever you want to call it well if you're um, but that being said though if and I saw this, uh, Ian had it today, uh, that one fourth and two, you block it, you don't let the backside defensive tackle run through there. He may get 30 yards on that play. Yeah, it's true. And in fact, so you, there's that aspect of it as well. It's, but once again, as a play caller, you have to factor that in where they, they're, they're, they're loading up and they're coming after the the quarterback power. So. Well, and even just running zone read, um, they they handed it off to Bijan last week and mm-hmm. seventy-eight yard run, right? Because they're keying on Roshan. They're used to him being the ball carrier. Uh, yeah. But I, by the way, the guy can throw. So you know, nice, no, yeah. Little, little pop pass to Jatavian Sanders. It's coming. Yeah, and I'm, I'm I mean I'm sure you don't want to fire all his bullets, but should have fired a couple more there probably. Yeah, I the other thing that I'm sympathetic to for Sark at least on offense is you mentioned the offensive lineman, the freshman. Um, Kelvin Banks, man, he's terrific. He's going he's gonna to play in the NFL. Uh, mm-hmm. He's a very good pass blocker. I want, I want you to help people. I want you to help me to explain to people the difference between talent and experience. Because Kelvin Banks is extremely talented, but part of when we say he's extremely talented, we're talking about his potential. Correct. He's an 18-year-old kid. He's not – and Tech literally on defense was starting everyone's 22 years, 23 years, 24 years old. He's – the Tech guy across from him is an inferior athlete, particularly two years from now. But 
he's 23 years old and he could deadlift 600 and squat 550 and bench 400. And Kelvin is not grown into his man strength yet, right? Correct. So he can't fire out on him and displace him. But he's 310 pounds with great feet. So you can't pass rush him just because he's no. so talented. Yeah, so once it, he strong, he's going to be a savage. But right now, Jake Majors, uh, Kelvin Banks, Cole Hudson, they're not going to get movement on a bunch of mature FBS football players, even if they're not super talented guys. No, I, I agree with that. That that's why, I, like I said, I think I think the pulls and the you know the pin and pulls and and the counters and stuff like that probably need to have a. It's I mean you can run your zone stuff, but it, it's zone still requires displacement of of the front, the down guys, so to speak. I mean if they walk yes. up the back or whatever, like you, you can't allow penetration there because then if you, I guess here's here's the point on that is yes that defensive end has seen. 90 million tackles in his life at this point in time. He's seen guys fire out low, high, try to hit him this way, try to do this. And Banks is just trying to get on his guy and move him. Yep. At the, probably at this point. You know, I mean, supremely talented, but I mean, this guy knows every trick or whatever. Just, I mean, even guy I played with, or I didn't play with him, but he played at Texas while I was there. I mean, Casey Stutter, go watch Casey Stutter block running plays his senior year. I mean, he, he just, he destroyed people because a, he was mean and nasty and a really good offensive lineman, but he had played so much football at that point in time. I mean, he, any trick anybody threw at him, I mean, it was, it didn't, it didn't matter. Yeah. So that it comes back to the point of, well, they're putting eight guys in the box. We put nine guys in the box. They put nine guys in the box and we had Ricky Williams too. Mm-hmm. Offensive line, move the defensive line. Ricky read which alley was there and he was gone. If you can, if you handle the four get down guys, you got a shot. Yeah. Regardless of whatever, because people get lost in the wash. This guy f- takes a bad angle. And even so, you still probably get three yards. That's yeah. that's to me, that's what the issue is there is that you know we're, we're just on those on those zone plays or those you know, whatever you want to call them, match blocking where you're trying to combo block off and this, you know, it's, there's a synchronization there to where experience matters one. And you just, you got to get a little bit of a push, even on the outside stuff on the stretch plays and whatever. I mean, you, you just, you know what I mean? That's why we had a tiny offensive line in high school and we just cut everybody on that stuff just because you, you couldn't allow the penetration in the backfield to stop the outside stuff. Was, was Yoakum 3A? We were three A at that point in time. So, I think we're still three. Maybe we're below four A. I'm not sure, but yeah. I uh, I get a huge kick out of two A and three A football because you have these weird athletic as Oh yeah, it's, it's yeah, so it's crazy. You, you come out there. You're the quarterback. You're, you're what six two and a half, two oh five. I was I was six I was six two one ninety five, and okay. I was I was our second biggest offensive lineman. That's it. I mean, our right guard was bigger than me. He was about 205. Everybody else was 175, 185. And we ran all sweeps left and right and just cut people and got people tired. And that's, yeah, it's, I mean, football's funny like that. I mean, once you get to a certain level, you can't really do that anymore because you'll get out athleted. But the high school level, I mean, especially around here, I mean, it's, you know, you got Shiner, um, Cuero, you know, Yoakum was pretty good there for a while. They're down here, but. Refurio's right down the road. I mean, there's 
there's teams that have been doing that to people with probably lesser athletes, honestly. I mean, yeah, they'll run into a year where you get a Whittington or a Brooks, but I mean, Shiners ran through people for years and years and years without division one athletes, just because they execute a system. And, you know, it's great. I mean, you got Liberty Hill up there just next to Austin, who we played in high school, same thing. I mean, once getting back to experience matters, I mean, those, those kids have been playing that same wing T system since they were in sixth grade. So they've yeah, seen every defensive front. They know who to block on this. They know who to block on that. Hey, if this happens, I got that guy. Yeah. And that'll come with time, you know, for those, for the younger guys we have on our line. But for right now, simple, Hey, this is your man beat his ass and somebody's going to pull around you and we're going to run it right over here. Seems like a, probably a better approach to me than trying to get into this complex zone stuff. Yeah. I mean, inside, I mean, this is over, over simplifying it, but inside zone requires a bunch of displacement and yes. outside zone requires a ton of coordination. Correct. And neither yep. one plays to our advantages. So we probably need to look at some counter tray, which I, I have a fondness for. I mean, that's what we ran in high school. That's what, like, I grew up on the Redskins, you know, uh, Lincoln Riley modernized. I, I was going to, I was going to say, we see it every year in uh, Dallas and seem to have issues with it as does everybody else. I mean, yep. they've been running the tray for forever. Yep. So anyway, that's, it's neither here nor there. I, I will say this as disappointing as the game was the, the book on the season is not written. Oh no, not at all. Not even close. I mean, it's, it's a road game and a tough place to play. Should, they should have won the game. Let's, I mean, I think anybody that watched the game would tell you that. I mean, it, they should have won that game. But at the end of the day, they're 0-1 in conference play with the whole season in front of them. Yep. And I didn't watch every Big 12 game on Saturday. I Every team on the schedule is beatable. Yep. And I think every team on the schedule could also beat us. This could this could be the first year I've ever seen where a six and three team in conference could play for the Big Twelve title off some weird tiebreakers. Very possible. I mean, Kansas. I, I don't know if you've been following. I've been making money off Kansas every week. I haven't seen them play yet, but I've been following them. But I haven't seen them play, but I know the I know the quarterbacks are good enough. Yeah, in his own right, and obviously that guy's knows what he's doing as a coach. So. I'd be interested to see them actually play a game before we run up against them just to kind of see what it's all about. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't see – I mean, Kansas State, granted they've owned Oklahoma kind of over the years anyway. But, um, yeah, there, there's no there's no gimme left. And, like I said, there's there's no team that we can't beat left, yeah. regardless, of who the, regardless of who the quarterback is, in my opinion. I just think there needs to be a little tweaking. If, if it's card. Yeah, I I'm starting to lean towards it's going to be yours this week. I think, I think they might have been able to play him in Lubbock, but I also think the staff thought they could beat that Tech team uh, without him. And you know, they they were wrong, but I think actually their assumption may not have been that wrong. No, I, I don't disagree with with them thinking that, and I think they're correct. Yeah. Even coming out of the game, I still think they're correct. I mean, Card Card played fine enough to win the game. I mean, yeah. he didn't. I told a buddy of mine this today. It's like 
tech base or Texas basically played at tech similar to Alabama at Texas. But Bama had a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback that Bama's coaches were like, all right, hey, go bail us out. Just win. Go go bail us out of this game. Let's get out of here. Yeah. And, you know, obviously cards, not that. And that's, you know, nothing to <laughs> nothing to be ashamed of. I mean, but I mean, he played fine. It, it, did he move the needle on a couple throws? No, but I mean, he played well, plenty good enough to win that game. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, well, one guy that we know is always a winner. It's our pal, Gabe Winslow. He's been the sponsor of this podcast from the very beginning. You can reach him at 832-557-1095 or go to mortgagesbygabe.com. Randy, you've done 31 mortgages with Gabe. Am I exaggerating? <laughs> a little bit, but pretty close. <laughs> pretty close. I found your podcast at a good time for, uh, for my life. <laughs> Yeah, but so you did your original and like a refi or two. And- I did an original, a refi, and then our new house and a refi on it. So yeah, four. All right, and uh, all of them were screwed up. Is that why you kept going back to them? This is kind of like yeah. Well, he just Texas Tech. yeah he just he kept converting, so you kept going for it. Yeah, he he owes he owed me after every single one. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> exactly right. Uh, yeah, I think uh, I even sent you a football preview. Yeah, I think that, yeah, still got it signed in there somewhere. I got to get you to sign this new one, wherever it is. It's around here somewhere. There it is. It's proof. There you I did go. buy it. Look at that. Look at that good guy. He's holding up the Longhorn football prospectus. Hey, guys, uh, you could still go buy it right now. It's super relevant. Uh, hey, if you do want to get a good, jo- uh, good deal on a mortgage and work with a great guy, call Gabe. Uh, if he's good enough for Randy Boone, he's good enough for you people. 832-557-1095. And if you need a realtor, you've not used this realtor, Randy. I have not. I have not you, on this one. You choose to live in, we, we just, did we decide on the name of the, your area, the, the greater Gulf Plains or something? What is it? The Golden Crescent is what somebody told me. I've, I must have been sleeping when we learned that in school. But You were the first person to ever call it that. Or, and I've, now I'm going to call it that. So Laura Baker does not sell houses in the Golden Crescent, but she is in Central Texas. And if you need a great realtor, give her a call, 512-784-0505. She's an award-winning member of the Andy Allen team with Keller Williams. Randy, if you got a pitcher that pitches professionally and they go out and they have their 25, 30 starts a year, and you got another pitcher who dabbles every now and then, like so many realtors do, would you rather go with the guy who has made pitching his profession or the dabbler? Probably going to go with the 25 to 30 start a year guy. That's right. It reminds me of uh, 300 when he meets the other army, the Thebans. And he says, (laughs) what's your profession? And the guy goes, a potter. And he goes, oh, I'm a Mason. And he goes, Spartans, what's your profession? They're like, oh, oh, oh. And he goes, see, old friend, I brought more soldiers than you, right? Exactly. Exactly. Kind of like that with realtors. Give Laura a call. She's a Spartan. She will defend the Greeks against the Persian invasion. Give her a call, 512-784-0505. And then when you call her, make sure you say, awu, awu, awu. Uh, all right, Randy. It's completely normal to do that in the real estate world, I'm telling Yes, exactly. <laughs> right after she <laughs> sells a house, she gets up and puts her spear in the air and does the, awu, awu, awu. That's perfect. Um I got to ask you something happened after the game. Probably not unsurprising. Texas Tech can be a little chippy 
uh, both as a fan base and as a destination. I wouldn't call Texas Tech Red Raiders gracious winners, generally speaking. Uh, did you see the video of what happened after the game to Ovi? I did. Uh, kudos to him, because um, I probably would not have reacted as well as he did. Neither so, would I. Um, good job by him on that. But yeah, it's. I mean, I well, I, I don't get it, but um, yeah, the rushing the field thing is kind super, of. I mean, aside from the cowardice of it, it's super weird to do that, right? Oh, the the shove is yeah. There's no excuse for stuff. I'm just saying that the rushing the field in general. I mean. I mean, I know it's Texas and they're all excited, but I mean, it's not like they beat the number one team in the nation or anything like that. But it, so that was kind of weird to me. But yeah, the shove is just unexcusable. But yeah, like I said, kudos, kudos to him because I probably would not have reacted to, as well. Um, hey, but, hey, bro, they rushed the field up. They beat Houston. This is true. They did do that. I forgot about that. I forgot about that. So it's just a thing now. If they win, they're going. Hey, man, uh, if we beat West Virginia not, next week, I'm going to be pissed if we yeah, don't rush the field. Let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah, I don't know. I've never – I get it. It's fun and all that stuff. But, yeah, they, they got to look at that because that, there's just uh, – something bad is going to happen one of these days. And I'm sure there's been multiple fans injured by goalposts and stuff like that that you don't even hear about. But, uh, yeah, it's just tough. Well, what but. about what about when they attack the valiant Aggies who are defending the Alamo? Would they attack them with the goalposts. Do you remember? When was that? A and M when they when they were in the conference they played Tech and maybe it was like the final game at Lubbock but Tech wins as they always did when they played A and M and they tore down the goalposts and used them to like they were trying to stick them in the anus, in the anus of various A and M fans who were standing I, in the end zone. I and missed then, that one somewhere. <laughs> well, and then they the A and M fans who love being martyrs decided they were going to defend the end zone. And then they uh, had some friendly fire and they started fighting each other because they were mistaking each other for tech fans and tech fans were attacking them and they were swinging like flasks and canteens at them. And, oh my God, it was amazing. This is why, this is why we can't have nice things. It is why we can't have nice things. All right. Well, have you ever college had, football's the best though? You played a ton of sports. Uh, have you ever had something comparable happen to you or any of your teammates? <laughs> um, yes, actually. Bring um, when I when I was in Venezuela, I don't. I might oh, have told God. the story. I don't remember if you, I did you or could, not. You could. I knew. I I'll retell. I'll retell it if I told it anyway. Uh, so we were down there, and they play a game called the La Chanita game, which is some sort of religious celebration. So basically, everybody's off for like three days, and on the third day in Maracaibo, we play an eleven a.m. game. And as you can imagine, the uh, stands are fairly raucous. Uh, they sell hard liquor in the stands there. Like I'm talking like <laughs> glass bottles of Jack Daniels for oh, no. purchase. Oh no. So these guys are on like a three-day bender. They're doing the wave. And when they do the wave, you know, it's like anything in your hands goes up in the air. So I mean you got bottles and everything. And it's loud. They're doing their chants and everything. So anyway, uh I pitched in it, but it was in the middle of the middle of the game. So it wasn't too crazy at that point in time. But anyway, it gets tight late. We tie it in the ninth. And it goes, I think, into extra innings, or we walk it off in the bottom of the night. Anyway, we hit a walk-off little single over shortstop. Guy from third scores, the guy that hit it's rounding first. And as he's rounding first, you know, our dugout starts to run out to, you know, do the whole celebration and try to rip his jersey off, you know, all that good stuff. And the the outfield fans just flow 
onto the field over the fence. So we just make like this big (laughs) U-turn and run back for the dugout where the tunnel is to get back up in the locker room. And the the only door there is like a, like a metal one with just like wrought iron bars or whatever. So we're in the locker room and you can just hear people like shaking the, the doors like i mean they're cheering it's like like they were trying to get in and attack us or anything like that but yeah i can imagine if you'd have got caught out in the middle of the field on that 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 probably wouldn't have been a a real pleasant experience but uh yeah pretty pretty interesting uh interesting sight for sure I, I, how have i never asked you if you're a kenny powers eastbound and down fan <laughs> I've, I've seen them all it's, it's, did, did your some, time of, those, some of those are more accurate than they would like you to believe did your time in Venezuela remind you of uh, his Mexican League experience? There, there, there are some uh, some similarities for sure. I I love Eastbound and Down. Um, I don't know. If, um, do you remember? <laughs> they're just showing what a like piece of garbage he is, and they were showing like fake interviews of like you know when he was leaving the major leagues. Oh yeah, and he's like. I thought the Dominicans in Boston were bad, but the ones in Oakland are even worse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, he had some pretty good lines in that show. That was a good one. But, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, when he's in Mexico, interesting experience down there. Do you remember when he gets into a standoff and he's like, all my life, I'd hope to get in a Mexican standoff in Mexico. <laughs> and here I am. Yep. <laughs> yep. Kenny Powers is a kind of a personal hero of mine. <laughs> I think he does embody the talented stupidity of so many successful baseball players in the major leagues. Not far from the truth, probably. There's plenty of them that probably have pretty pretty similar thoughts on a lot of things, I would say. (laughs) I love that, man. There's just something something about baseball that just cracks me up, like that kind of like just – Eternally confident, like you know. What's well, it? I, I think I He's never seen my stuff, right? Yeah, absolutely. I'm like, no, nah, he can't hit me. That's uh, so awesome. I think it's. I, I think I texted this to you or whatever. We we're talking about Ewers, and I was like, yeah, he's he's just like a really good hitter or cornerback. He like remembers everything but forgets everything at the same time. Like they only take the positives out of it, and the negatives just. Yeah, well, I think I said early on when when you see that mullet and that line beard, that's a guy who doesn't care. And we're going to find out if it's that's in a good way or in a bad way. Real fast. Yeah, real fast. And then you see him against Bama and he looks like his face looks like, you know, I'm out doing soft toss with a student manager on a Tuesday night. Like he looks out there playing. He's (laughs) out there playing ball, man. He was just out there playing ball. I mean, I, I've made this argument to people and like a lot of baseball guys have like agreed, even if they don't even get offended. I'm like, you can be too smart to be good at baseball. And then also, if you are smart, you have to be smart in a very disciplined, narrow way. Like you have to constrain your intelligence so you can utterly focus. You can't have like this, oh, that's interesting. Let me think about that. Oh, that, huh, what does that mean? Like that, that does not serve you in, in the game of no. baseball. No, you'll drive yourself nuts and you'll overcomplicate things. Yes. Real okay. fast. You need Kenny Powers to be like, I'm going to throw it real hard. And I don't think this dude can hit it. It's good. Well, football, not exactly like football is full of rocket scientists. So I'm not picking on baseball here. True. Uh, yeah, I mean, you, you got your select guys that can do it. 
but even them to a certain extent, like there comes a point in time where it's, you know, let's forget all that stuff that was prep. Now, now it's programmed. We got to go do it. Yep. A hundred percent. So, you know, kind of circling back on the OV thing. I mean, we kind of downplayed it, but his decision showed a lot of character and like, because if OV retaliates and I think it's bad, it gets real bad, man, because other Texas players are going to have his back. Tech fans are going to get involved and you're going to have a big brawl. You're going to have a big ride. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's, it's going to get real bad real quick. And when you get fans involved and they're out and the players are outnumbered, even though those are all big, strong guys, um, they're going to start swinging helmets. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's going to get ugly fast. Um, I don't, so when I was, uh, in school, I think maybe I was in high school or junior high. Texas had a huge brawl pregame with Texas A&M and football. And this was not a hold me back, shove, shove. Uh, like they were swinging. Guys were – there were clumps of dudes on other – and individual guys fighting. And I don't know if you remember this, but there was a guy who played at Texas, an incredible athlete. He just didn't really pan because they could never really sort of find him a position. But his name is Jason Burleson. Yeah, I remember he people came talking Texas, about him. He came to Texas as a quarterback. And he was about 6'6". And when he filled out, he was about 255, 250. They eventually moved him to tight end. And I just remember Jason Burleson grabbing this Aggie uh, linebacker or DB, I can't remember. But this guy tried to take a swing at him from behind. And Burleson double leg tackled him, drove him into the ground. And you could tell the Aggie guy like lost his breath when he got driven into the ground. And then Burleson got on him. This is in the 80s. And he straddled him UFC style like in the <laughs> mouth and was just dropping bombs on this guy. And I was just sitting there watching like mouth agape. And I was like, oh, my God. And then, of course, like three Aggies came and tackled him off. And then a bunch of Longhorns jumped on them. And it was mayhem. I think Texas ended up losing the game. That, that was back when Texas lost to A&M every year. Uh, but, yeah, that was – that got out of control. So I can only imagine what it would be like if fans had been on the field as well. So you never had a Lansing lug nut brawl? There was a good one the year before I got there that everybody talked about, and I saw the video of it was a uh, pretty crazy one. Uh, it was only one, only had one bench clearing incident, and it wasn't really anything to to write home about. So, so is there an etiquette to a baseball brawl where, like, it's kind of like hockey goalies? You just find each other and tie each other up. Like, do you look for another pitcher and you both kind of pretend to be mad and like tie each other so up? I, I was warming up when it happened, so I was like one of the last people to get there. Okay. And Ken Ken Kasparic, who you know pitched at Texas as well, was on that other team. So yeah, that's kind of what we did. You know, <laughs> all the good stuff had already happened by the time we got there. I mean, it, it there was a couple pretty good punches thrown or whatever. By the time we got there, it was you know the all the hold me back stuff was going on. Yeah. So yeah, me and me and Ken just sort of found each other and like, hey man. He's like, hey, Randy. You're like, hey, Ken. How's it going? We're just going to stand over here. <laughs> <laughs> look look angrier, Ken. Yeah. That's awesome. Like, at least grab my jersey or something. 100%. All right. What do you know about West Virginia? Have you watched them play at all? I, I did, actually. I saw the pit game or whatever. Uh, I mean, JT Daniels obviously has talent. Yeah. Uh, he looked a little more comfortable last week, I would say. Um, I don't think Virginia Tech's very good. Nope. But, um, 
you can be a little more comfortable. Um, they've played us tough, you know, last few years or whatever, and there's still a Stills brother there somehow. So uh, <laughs> yeah, they're like the they're like the Selman brothers at OU back in the old day. There's always yeah, the Selman mean, brother. Yeah, there, there's you know just in per- perpetuity. There's gonna be there forever. But um, uh, that's about all I know. I mean, I haven't really got into him, but uh, I know people were real high on Neil Brown there for a, a while. I think he's kind of lost some of his luster. Um, but uh, I mean, like I said, they've they've played us tight. I don't think that they're really that scary in any facet no. from what I've seen. Um, but like we talked about a while ago, I, I honestly think we should and can beat everybody else on the schedule. And if you don't play well, that that can be returned to us as well. Yeah, it's it's really weird. I don't remember a Big 12 like that. I mean, we'll, we'll see how it pans out. But Yeah, it, and we <laughs> – we're we're saying this, and it'll be you know two teams at the top, and everybody else will be, you know, fighting for scraps down at the bottom. But uh, and we'll see how it all plays out. I just, at this point, I don't see anybody that's you know standing on the mountaintop looking down. And I'll tell you one thing that I'm a hundred percent confident in is it doesn't run through Lubbock. No, I don't think it runs through. Lubbock. I mean, I know as a coach, you got to say that, I guess, but uh, I'm going to disagree with him on that. Yeah, <clears throat> one thing I got to say is fans may be overreacting a bit to getting some unplugged of what is said in the locker room. Yeah, that, that's kind of something that probably didn't need to get out, but coaches talk a lot oh of shit. Well. Yeah. I, people talk a lot of trash after a big win, and you're going to say, see, I told you they were soft. See, I told you. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. it doesn't mean anything. Like, no, it, 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 I mean, I, I would definitely use it, uh, use it. on yeah, our yeah. side. Absolutely. 100%. But yeah, it, it it wasn't a shot by any means. It was, it was him. It was him building his guys up from what they were probably telling them all week. Like, Hey, if you keep it close, you got a chance. Cause they'll fall, you know, Hey man, it was 24 10 at halftime. Texas had the, the game in control or 24, 14. Sorry. Right. Uh, the, but Texas finished that half of momentum. So they go in at halftime and McGuire says, Hey, Hey, you got to keep playing this team. They, they're, they fold in the second half. I mean, you, you're going to say whatever you can to get your team. No, absolutely. Yeah. Honor, you, got, right? you got to motivate. I mean, that I, from my understanding and I, I don't, I mean, I know he was at uh, Cedar Hill and whatever, but my understanding that's kind of his, his forte is the, the motivational side of things more so than being a, you know, an X's and O's guru type guy. Oh, interesting. Um, I, I don't, I don't have a whole lot of info on that. Just is kind of what my understanding was. Is it, and trailer's kind of the same way, I think. I mean, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, you know, he had some input on the offense when he was at Texas, and Gilmer obviously had some good offenses. And Cedar Hill had good offenses back in the day, too. So, I mean, I could be wrong on that, but. Um, so, trailer is not an X and O guy. He's a culture builder. Right. And so that's what I said. That's kind of what I had heard about um, McGuire is that, I mean, I'm sure he's an adequate X's and O's football coach, but I think the motivational side of things is kind of what his his calling card was, so to speak. Yeah. I mean, there's something to that. I mean, when you're the head coach, you can yeah, hide I mean, the X's nose. Yep. Right. Uh, I, th- I do like, uh, I do like their OC. I mean, I know DeReader has been around for a while and had success in places and not success in places, but I mean, yeah, I think at this point he's credible and, you know, he, he knows what he's doing. Uh, but I do think the OC is a, a rising star kind of type guy that you'll, he'll probably have a, a few opportunities in a couple of years. 
Well, a little call. Oh, Kitley, yeah. He, he's text on page one of his playbook. Bailey's, oh, absolutely, yeah. Bailey yeah. Zappi had feel, and he could see the field, and you saw what that offense can be. Yeah. Uh, I will say DeRuiter, he made the right adjustments. And yep. as a callback to what we were talking about, he said, you just lost Xavier Worthy. All right, eight-man box, press man coverage. Show us you can beat it. And if you can't, we're going to keep doing it and we're going to do it harder. <laughs> and yep. That's what they did. And, uh, you know, you could say that's a basic, obvious adjustment. Well, a lot of coaches don't make the basic, obvious adjustment because they're like, well, that's not what we do or whatever. Right. Hey, Tom, Tom Herman making football math. Yes. It's I'm going to call it again because this play should work. I understand it should work. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not. <laughs> John Gruden used to always say, every play I call is intended to score a touchdown. Yeah, no, it's not. It's like, no, your inside zone on third and one is intended to yeah. get a yard and a half, John. Exactly. Yeah. No, oh. but uh, but yeah, that that was the the maddening thing about the the Herman stuff to me is just to beat your head against a wall because I drew this up, damn it, and it's supposed to work. Like hadn't worked yet. Well, it's, it's, uh, you know, there's the, you, know, you want to get a team so they can run through a wall and, you know, look, there's something to that in sports, especially football, but there's also something to being like, Hey, there's, there's a door here. We could just open it and just walk through and save our strength. <laughs> and, and there's the argument to be made for the, for the Rocat deal too, where if you get those fourth downs, then every time you line in it texts like, huh. Oh, here we Here go with this again. Yeah. Here comes this again. But it didn't. So. Yeah. Well, I I think you're on. I think you're onto something that Texas. I agree with you. Texas Texas is not going to be powering people at the point of attack. We're not at that stage as a program. Yeah. I, I, I can get there for sure. Can get there. And um, and I'm sure that's the intention, which I like. Yep. I just don't think you have it now. Yeah, they've got to do. They got to have a little smoke and mirrors. They got to get men moving. They got to pull. They got to block down. Um, yeah, I can tell you. You know, I used to. Um, I don't know why, but they would always make if if the other team had a good blocking tight end or something, uh, they would make me play the blocking tight end when we're like and scout to give the defense a look or whatever. I tell you what, blocking down is really fun. Uh, getting a guy heading upfield and you get you catch his shoulder right, like the guy could be bigger and stronger than you. You're going to take him for a ten yard ride, yep. and he's going down. Yep. And you know, yep. when you see, Lever when you <clears throat> leverage is a beautiful thing in football for sure. It is a beautiful thing, and when you see Christian Jones do it at six six three twenty, um, it's he can be devastating at times. And mm. uh, talk about a guy that's improved. That's you know that's the thing that's that's frustrating to me, Randy. I, I kind of wanted to touch on. The team in many individual positions has much improved. Has improved, right? Yep. I think that was kind of what was frustrating. The, the, that was the most frustrating thing about the game to me because, like, going into the season, that's what I wanted to see really more so than anything. Like, obviously, when we win games, whatever, but like, I think I texted you after the first game against Monroe, which I mean, it was first game didn't run the ball really. I mean, I think your power run game woes kind of go all the way back to there to where you, you really didn't manhandle them probably the way you should have if that was yep. really going to be a strength. But, it you know, the first three games, hiccups here, whatever, you know, I, I thought it was like you could really 
you could see the improvement with having without having to like dig into it too much. And I think the tech game, once I remove myself from it, then you start thinking about individual performances. You're like, man, a lot of guys are are better. It's just for whatever reason the the cohesiveness wasn't better. But I do agree. I mean, I think I think program wise and talent wise, um, I think it's definitely better than it was last year. But you know, end of the day, it's about wins and losses too. So, one hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, I, I watched Jaron Thompson play this year, and I'm like, whoa, he's oh, he's better. yeah, he's better player. at everything. He's mm-hmm. better. He's bigger. He's stronger. Stronger. He's decisive. Yep. He's he's doing everything better. Good job, Jaron. And yeah, then Cook. Cook. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, with, some of these guys have ceilings. Obviously, they're, the, they're effectively the same player. You know, I get it, but. There's something to be said for staying at your ceiling too, though, because that happens a lot as well. No doubt about that. There are plenty, of, plenty of plenty of guys. Courses. Yeah, where you're like, oh, he's reliable, and then no, he's not, not anymore. Tries to be something or not, add too much weight, try to be faster. You know, yep. all, all these things can play into it. But yeah, I mean, there, there's something to be said for being, you know, as good as you can be consistently, regardless yes. of how good that is. An analogy that I use kind of getting back to the the future and the O-line and their ability to move people and displace people in the future is if you've ever gone to a dog dog park and uh, I've seen them. All right. You've heard of them. Has, the dog, park, has the dog park concept made it to Yoakum? Um, dog park just a ranch. I think there's actually one out there, but I don't think anybody uses it. I think dog parks in Yoakum is just some dogs running around on the ranch. Basically, it's it's a pretty blue collar town. There's not a whole lot of people that are just they don't waiting get around to take their dog for a dog walk. Park. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> three times spend a little different around here. <laughs> All right, well, there's a thing called dog parks where a bunch of yuppies <laughs> bring their dogs to run around and play, and they go, "No, Dylan, no, Dylan, don't hump Dylan or whatever." Right. So if you go to a dog park, you'll see uh, a full grown Labrador Retriever. You know, big, strong, confident dog, friendly. And he likes to wrestle. And a six-month-old Great Dane will come in the dog park. And this dog, this Great Dane is bigger, stronger, but he's a puppy. And he doesn't know how to fight yet. And he doesn't know how to wrestle, right? So the lab and the Great Dane start playing. And the, the lab throws him down and is on top of him playing. And they're doing play, you know, bites. And the Great Dane gets bullied, right? In three months, that Great Dane will kick the shit out of that lab in the dog park, right? In six months, he can do whatever he wants, right? Mm -hmm. That's kind of how it is for these young offensive linemen. They're they're six-month-old Great Danes who don't know their own strength yet or how to use it or how to, to leverage it. And when they do learn, watch out, right? Um, it's kind of like, I don't, I don't know if you've ever seen, uh, but I've seen it a few times where it'll be like Texas high school playoffs in basketball. And you'll see a very well-regarded uh, six foot eight, you know, guy who's 190 pounds, but he's got game, but he's read thin, right? And he'll encounter the team in the playoffs that have this, has the six foot five, 240 pound high school tight end three-star recruit, tight end recruit, and he plays basketball on the side and he averages nine points a game and 12 rebounds, right? 
And that kid will physically abuse the star just because he's bigger and stronger and more confident, right? In one year, those two players can encounter each other again. And the six, eight star kid is going to crush him. He's going to take him outside. He's going to rain threes on him. He's going to dribble by him. He's going to be stronger. He's going to be strong enough, right? He's not going to be as strong as the football player tight end kid, but he'll be strong enough that he's not going to get humiliated. That's kind of how it is in sports. And I, I keep kind of getting people to understand like, Hey, a bunch of 23 year olds going against a bunch of 18 year olds, even though the 18 year olds have more talent, they need a little time for it to show. Right. Yeah. I mean, you can't expect that thing just to flip, you know, like that. I mean, I I know fans get excited about it or whatever, but I mean, other thing about it is too, I mean, you know, what, what was your preseason prediction record wise? Eight and four. Eight and four. I think, yeah, I think I was either eight and four or what, or whatever. To be eight and four, you got to lose four games. Yeah. And I know we take this thing week to week and, and all this. And now, like I said, the, the scary things, the similarities from the past or whatever, but, you know, they flip the page next week, come out and, and play well. And, you know, you're sitting at three and two and in pretty decent shape to control your own destiny throughout the conference play. And here we go, see what happens. So that, that's the that's the thing that, that you kind of always have to remember is you, know, you want to win every week, but, I don't think anybody predicted 12 and 0. No, 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 not anyone who. Not any sane person, at least. No, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. You've been awesome. I want to wrap it up with a little treat since I've got a baseball guy here. Uh, I have been following the Astros as much as I rag on baseball. Astros are freaking good. They're a freaking good baseball team. But there's a monster on the other side of the bracket. It looks like now it never works out this way in baseball. I know you're going to like yell at me for even thinking this, but it looks like the Astros and the Dodgers are going to face off, right? Oh, you were talking about the Dodgers? Oh, who's the, who's the Dodgers? I was, that's that completely kidding. I was... Oh, you're, you're like, oh, I'm a double raise, man. Uh, but can the Astros, I mean, yeah, it's baseball. Can the Astros beat them? Yes. Uh, but like, what does that look like? And how much am I going to make selling some of me and Gabe's playoff tickets? I think you'll be in pretty good shape on those tickets. Right. Good. Um, yeah, it's baseball, so who knows? I mean, you run into – I mean, you're as good as your starting pitcher that night, basically. Uh, but both those squads have unbelievable starting pitching. So, I mean, um, it's like – Both bullpens are really good, but equally kind of dicey on the back end sometimes. Yeah. Um offensively they kind of match up so i mean i think it'd be an unbelievable series if it happens Uh, i'd love to see it obviously um there's some hurdles for both of them to get by because i'm sure there's some other teams that have something to say about it but yeah i mean at this point sets up pretty dang well for some uh for some pretty premier pitching matchups and and all kinds of stuff but like you said i mean baseball who knows Uh, the braves will probably have something to say about it and uh and who knows somebody else may pop up Yankees have won a baseball game or two in the postseason as well. So, yeah, but as an Astros fan, there's a yeah. I don't think they want to see us. The Yankees do not want to see the Astros. There's no other like franchise in baseball that's like, oh, Yankees, whatever. Yeah, no, that that they they do not want to see the uh, the blue and orange across the field for any for any reason whatsoever right now. Well, so here's my other. uh, Hey, one one thing before I 
uh, talked about it a while ago off air or whatever, but speaking of the Braves, uh, shout out to Bryce Elder, complete game shout out tonight. First Atlanta Braves rookie to do that since 1960. I just saw it come across ESPN a while ago. Pretty cool. He was a, he was a damn good pitcher for Texas and he has burned through the minor leagues and has more than held his own in the big leagues and his call-ups this year. So really cool to see. And, uh, Great, great kid. So happy for him on that. Is he a listener? Let's find out. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. We can find out. We I can find out. Instead of celebrating that, he's probably going to listen to this podcast. I'm sure. I'm sure it's what, what he's doing. He's like, Randy he's Boone. Just, he's probably just waiting. Wait, oh, Randy Boone's going to talk about football. Randy Boone's going to talk about football? Sign me up. <laughs> We're not going to the strip club tonight. <laughs> let's, talk Rand, let's talk Randy Boone. Um, final thoughts on the Astros as a, as a, as a dilettante here. Um, they have dispersed power. I don't recall an Astros team where you have like six or seven dudes with between 15 and 35 home runs, right? It's a deep lineup. And I got to feel like that and particularly in playoff baseball, like that's a lot of pressure on a pitcher. More so in playoff baseball. Um, I think people need to be reminded of the old Greg Maddox line of when they asked him how you get out Barry Bonds, and he said there's 27 outs to get, and he's not one of them. That's how good starting pitchers approach playoff baseball. Yeah. They're looking for – well, they're not looking for 27 outs anymore. They're looking for 18 or 21 or whatever, but they, they know where to find them, and the deeper your lineup is, the harder it is to find them. Mm-hmm. So they keep coming at you. I know that it was crazy that they had the. I didn't realize that that you know the ESPN's on their Aaron Judge slobber fest right now. You can't even watch a Texas game without seeing a cut in for the uh, <laughs> the Yankees game. But I didn't realize that there was no one closer to him in home runs than Alvarez at thirty seven in the American right? League. He's at 60, and that's what the thing on the TV said. During the Texas game, when we were about to score, they just went ahead and went split screen. But, uh, yeah, it said Aaron Judge was at 60 and Alvarez was at 37. Did, did you ever face a guy, like, that huge and athletic? He's, he's every bit of 6'7", isn't he? 6'8"? He's, he's massive. He's um, like 5 and he's not fat. No, he's, I mean, he's a specimen. I mean – you could stick him on any sporting field of the big three and even a hockey rink probably, and he would still be one of the bigger people on the field. Um, no, not that I can remember. Not that big. He's almost as intimidating as like a John Cruck. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's big, big fat stands out. 20 feet off the plate, so it looks like he can't reach anything outside, and then all of a sudden you just floop. But uh, yeah, him I'm and Cruck are very similar. They're, him and Cruck probably had the same. They probably had the same workout um, regimen, I would imagine. Oh yeah, yeah, similar John at Cruc, least. Yeah, John Cruck was definitely on test. Yeah, there's no doubt in my mind. Uh, all right, man. Anything else we need to hit here? I don't have anything, dude. This has been a treat. Uh, I'm gonna make it back to Austin for Christmas, and we might make a run down to Rockport. So. If you're around, uh, maybe I can buy you some dinner or something in the in the Golden Crescent. I, I do eat dinners, so you do eat dinners, okay. and we can go find a dog park. We, I'm sure they, I guarantee you, Rockport's got one. 
<laughs> oh, Rockport's definitely got a dog park. Uh, but no yeah, offense to my Rockport. Wanna, no offense to the Rockport people out there. I also want to make a visit to the. No, I mean, all joking aside, I do want to go visit the Randy Boone statue in Yoakum and pay my respects. And I know every homecoming, Cuero. Yeah, they just got the paint off it. So, did you did you take the nightgown off it? <laughs> no, we're gonna leave that up for a little while. <laughs> You're gonna leave it up. You're like, it's actually and, kind of beautiful. With uh, you know, everything going on, I figure it fits. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, Randy's not. Randy's comfortable exploring his identities. Oh, oh man. man. Yeah, but honestly, the desecration they visit on your statue every year is really something that gets in my craw. And I hope you know you've got a friend and that I have defended that statue many times. I appreciate it. It's, it's tough to take, but it's, you know, something I, I've wanted to deal with. Well, they, they don't put up statues of losers, Randy. <laughs> Even though they put rouge on you and nightgowns and curling, like, you know, hair curlers and, you know, all sorts of things. I just, I just think it's wrong. I think it's wrong what they do to a great man. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. And they don't, they don't ever mess with the Adrian Alanis statue. Why is that? He probably actually has one. <laughs> <laughs> he might. He's like definitely yeah. a small town legend. Yeah. No, something about if you don't lose any games in high school and then uh, win a state title, he, he, he might actually have one down there. All right. So final question. Many of your teammates at Texas who played baseball were actually good football players, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So who was the best football player? on your baseball team man adrian was pretty good quarterback seth johnson was supposedly really good quarterback um up in bernie i never i never saw him play or anything but i, I know we talked about it um <laughs> clay van hook was actually an option quarterback at brenham all five foot nine of him throwing oh. the line of sweep uh back in the day uh as far as best what about uh, uh, Joseph? Joseph Krebs was apparently an absolutely unbelievable uh, wide receiver up in uh, Bridgeport. Really? Yeah. What he, about that was, uh, so? I don't yeah. know if you remember. So back in like the Tech heyday, there was a there was a quarterback named Philip Doherty. I'm probably mispronounced his last name, but him and Krebs were like best friends in high school. He went to Tech. I think he ended up at Sam to finish his career or whatever. But like I said, that was kind of when the whole spread thing was getting going. Well, they started running that up there, and they just threw the ball over the place. And everybody in Krebs had, like, some insane amount of yards. And it was nice. Yeah, I probably have to go with him just on stats alone, really. Which, But, yeah, the Van, the Van Hook quarterback thing is, is, is one that probably not too many people know. What Speaking about of which, congratulations to him, new UTA head coach up there in uh, Arlington. Oh, I didn't know that. That's awesome. Congrats yep. to him. Yep. That's cool. What about uh, Peoples? I don't know if Peoples played football. He would have been an unbelievable football player. Um, huh. well, if he think... did, I never really. Uh, Ryan Russ on one of those, uh, the my 04 team, Ryan Russ uh, uh, played. I know that. Kyle Yates uh, was played over there. So, I mean, there's a lot of guys that played and, and were good, not just, you know, oh, yeah, I played for I mean, Stewart, I think Clayton Stewart was a quarterback. I'm I'm sure I'm missing multiple people here. There's probably like some three-time All-State guy that I'm missing. That's Austin Wood seems like a guy who played football. I don't think so. That's interesting. He has like the mentality and like the ability. Maybe. I'm not sure. I don't think he did though. Not that I can remember. So there's a kid. The Houston uh, guys, the Houston guys, like the specialization over there kind of already started. 
so I don't think many of them did unless they were from like a smaller school. Um, so shout out. Yeah, there's, there's tons of them. Speaking of shout outs, there's a kid who's signed to UT baseball who is a really good football player. He goes to my old high school. His name's Ed Small. Hmm. And he is a legit, he's about 6'1", 6'2", 190 pounds. And he's a legit 4'4", 5", 4'5", guy. Plays wide receiver and is dominant player. So uh, it's great. I'd, I'd be interested to see like state of Texas wise compared to, you know, I mean, I think everybody in the grants, Florida, California, Texas, at your, your home, yeah. how many of those guys are multi-sport guys versus not? There's got to be a and way if, higher and percentage it, of football it, players who played base, you know, baseball, football players in Texas. Wouldn't you say? What's that? Wouldn't you say that there's a higher percentage of that's what I would think who played football at Texas? I, I would think that uh, the, just the because the culture, the culture here um, is probably a little different. I, I don't know that to be a fact, but I would that would be an interesting number to see, though, honestly. It, it, but here's the truth. And I mean, I know this sounds like ridiculous, but if six foot, 295 pound Randy Boone is walking around Yoakum High, 3A. And he's like, ah, I'm just going to play baseball. Oh, yeah. No. I want to be like, uh, you're playing football, dude. Like, yeah. what are you doing? Yeah, you're going you're gonna to hear about it if you don't. Yes. Um, I mean, there, there have been guys around the area that did, but I know they heard about it. Yeah, I, I got to think that that's not a, a thing as much in California, mm -hmm. right? I would think so. Like I said, I, that would be interesting to me to, to see that and, and then compare that to how those guys – performed and panned out well they they have so david epstein wrote this very good book range looking at exactly that and how multi-sporting lets you go further in your primary sport when you choose that later in life because you develop other skills and other level you know other types of athleticism mm. um, I, I would agree i would agree with it it just helps you in so many different ways i mean i get i get the you know these six eight high schools that got spring football and all this stuff or whatever but i mean if you're you have the opportunity to, I, I mean, I'd highly advise kids at least do it as long as you can before you absolutely have to. Yeah. I, I think um, like even Jordan Spieth, right. He was a multi-sport athlete and golf golf's pretty specialized. Roger Federer, arguably the greatest tennis yep. player to ever play. He was a, he was not a tennis kid. He was, he was a multi-sport athlete who played like every sport. And then he didn't focus until tennis until like, really late like especially for tennis that's weird oh and all the all the tennis freaks will tell you if you're not ranked in junior nationals by age 10 you're a loser yeah, you're done yeah i mean roger Federer wasn't even a part of that thing yeah i mean just this day and age with with all the technology and being able to send out i mean if you can play they'll find you yep yeah i gotta think well it's like the two uh scouts you sat next to you yeah <laughs> I don't think those guys are going to be finding them people much longer. <laughs> no, probably not. But damn, they were entertaining. They were entertaining, though. <laughs> hey, speaking of Quero, uh, the guy that sat behind them was a guy named Wayne Mathis, who was the uh, quarterback on the Quero State Championship team. He's a scout for the Pirates now. Oh, wow. I looked I looked up at those those guys, and I saw him. I was like, man, I know that guy from somewhere. And uh, finally – went up and talked to him a little bit, but yeah, small world. 
So I, I've heard that, uh, although it sounds all interesting, like I'm a scout for a major league baseball team or whatever. I heard that's like an incredibly crappy existence. Like, yeah, it's, it's probably not the, uh, the top of the totem pole um, on uh, a lot of people's lists for sure, but I think lots of travel. I think you're staying at a lot of Hampton. I think you're staying at a lot of Hampton Inns. Yeah, you, that's probably the the high point is you, you get a lot of uh, gas miles and and hotel rooms for sure. And I don't know if it's changed any over the last few years, but the pay wasn't exactly stellar. No, no, that's a that's but, a like put in your time, pay your dues sort of deal, and you try to move on. Yeah, you try to get up into you know front offices or whatever. But I mean, there's a lot of guys that are lifers and do that. And just love the game and it's what they want to do. And hey, you know, um, the, you know the better route, the easier route? Go to MIT, get a degree in statistics and analytics. And yeah, just now go, <laughs> go create some Excel cells. You don't even need to go see Randy Boone pitch. You yeah, just be like, no. oh, what's his location? What's this? Oh, well, according yeah. to this, this is what he'll do. Yeah, it's it's been interesting to see everything kind of come back. Yeah, it's kind of come over the weird, last few years, which which it needed not full to. Circle though, like no, I mean it, it's it's got its place. Don't get me wrong, I and mean, all that's got its place in the game for sure. Yeah. But you know, there for a little while, it was like, come on, guys, there there is still a human element. They're not robots out there. So yeah, I, I will say as a, as a dumb layman, um, if I want to just kind of know how good a pitcher is, I'll glance at his whip. Probably one of the best barometers out Not there. his win-loss record. <laughs> no, win-loss no, win is out. Um, you're going to be on my stat ran again. Poor, poor uh, Christian Javier of the Astros. Speaking of he, – he, hey, he got over 500. So Javier is like – Hey, that guy's going to be – that guy's going to be a weapon in the playoffs. He's got great stuff. And that poor guy at one point during the year, he was, his record was like six and nine or something. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's definitely the tough luck guy. Every staff's got one. Every every staff's got one. Yeah, it's it just never fails. But who who was y'all's at Texas? Well, y'all didn't really lose many games. So it, it's it's different in college. Yeah, um, I mean, y'all lost like what fourteen games or something. Like your yeah, best I mean, like, I'd have to go back and look at all the stuff. Where I know I I lost a lot of games over my career, so I guess you could say <laughs> me. Um, and some of them were fairly hard luck, but. Um, we we won a fair amount that I pitched in as well, but um, yeah, it's just it the one loss thing. That's tough. ERA. That's tough because you can. There should be innings that you get out of, or you, that you yeah. should get out of, that you don't, but you're still protected by your own run runs and stuff like that. And then vice versa, it can go the other way against you. Yeah, whip whip's a pretty good one usually. I mean. If you're ending up with a whole lot of foot traffic out there, eventually things are not going to go your way. Yeah. Unless you're just really, really prone to extreme slugging percentages or something like that. But but a lot of the stuff, you know, it gets into things that are useful for for certain things. But yeah, I mean, if 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 you're just going to give a little glance at, hey, how's this guy doing this year? Whip's probably a pretty good place to start. Yeah, I mean the last the last Astros game I went to, the guy they started uh, had a seven and a half, I think, for the year, and uh, he punched out like ten over seven and was unhittable basically. And I don't know if he just started throwing the slider or 
wow. had just perfected the slider or if it was just a night that he had his slider and he hadn't yet that year. But I turned to my wife at one point. I was like, this is why any given night in baseball, like you just like at some point in time in the second or third inning, the Astro hitter would just go back in the dugout and be like, look, hey, throw out the scout report. This dude's slider's freaking on tonight. So that's what we're going to have to deal with. Yeah, they're look everyone can have their hot night um oh, yeah there's no there's no sport more like that than baseball it's such a weird ass sport like in football like how good you are is kind of how good you are man like it's not like oh it's my night i felt it it's like you're earl campbell you always feel it yep or you're not and you know it's not like suddenly you're gonna run through three dudes and stiff arm a dude in the dirt at the end of your run like kind of your ability is your ability level uh but such a weird sport. I guess, is it is it like golf in that regard, maybe? I, f- I feel like it's similar because I've heard good golfers talk about like maintaining, like once they find that zone or that swing or whatever, how hard it is to maintain it and, and the happy medium of how hard do you work to maintain it versus overworking yourself out of it too early. You know, like so, I, I played with guys that, you know, they're, you know, they got their swing fixed and they feel great. I mean, they take three hacks in the cage before the game, like, got it, here we go. And then there's other guys that, you know, oh, man, I got to I got to keep swinging because I got to keep it. You know, I got to keep it. And it's, you know, it worked for some, didn't work for others. And the same thing from a pitching standpoint, like keeping your grips. And I know it sounds stupid because you play catch every day, but, I mean, just one little manipulation on the ball, you, you know, where did my sinker spin go? Did, it was great yesterday. What happened to it? And just did you put Vaseline on the seam of the ball or on like this, the, the, the middle part? I was, I was, I don't, I never got into any of that stuff. But uh, yeah, if why you did, were to, if you, you were to do it, it would be in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners can't see Randy's big smile. Yeah, no, uh, I never, I, I wasn't much on on all that. I, I was a command guy anyway, and I didn't want anything on there to distract from that but uh in cold weather up in the upper northeast you had to get a little creative to get some stick them sometimes because those things feel like pool cues and i was i mean you're just doing it for the good of the hitter really i mean you're not trying to hurt anybody out there so. so speaking of the northeast you you did quite a bit of that like you played in new hampshire right most of my career was in the northeast so yes. you, you've literally pitched in games where it's 36 degrees or lower like how did you not rip your rotator cuff in half it, I mean, you, you, once you get warm, it's not so bad, but yeah, those first couple of warm-up pitches, if you're coming out from multiple innings, it's, well, dude, hey, uh, this is baseball. Tough. You can't stay warm. A batter can freaking freeze you out. Yeah. No, I mean, you, you, you get creative and layers upon layers, but that's the other thing too, is, I mean, you ever do jumping jacks on the mound? I've never done that on the mound. No, <laughs> no. A lot of, a lot of butane furnaces in the bullpen though. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah. I, would you rather pitch in cold, like severe cold, or or heat, like 105? Personally, I would. I always preferred the heat um, with the humidity because I like the way the ball felt in that better. But the uh, the advantage is definitely on the pitcher side, pitching in cold because you're out there moving, you're warm, you control kind of your grip on the ball, whatever. And then you got these poor guys that are just sitting around behind you, you know, for. 12, 13 minutes in an inning, and then they got to run in and go grab a stick of wood. And heaven forbid they don't hit it on the sweet spot and they're 
fingers are buzzing for the next three hours. They got to go do it two more times. So yeah, the it's, it's, uh, it definitely sways to the pitcher's advantage in the cold weather. I never thought about that. I, I liked bad weather football too. I liked like high grass, sleet, freezing, you know, rain, because if you're not fast, that was playing field pretty quick. Everyone becomes as slow as you. And then it's just like physicality. And, you know, that's interesting. Yeah. Hey, hey random question, but I know we're probably way over time here, but uh, you think we'll ever go back to natural grass? I, I know a lot of fans want to. I want to. I just think it's got something to do with all these damn injuries. You know, I don't know. I mean, they we, we see all that. So we, we do some fields and stuff for, at, at work and we see all the research and this company's, you know, less knee injuries than grass and less yeah. concussions. But in my, I mean, I know I see the reports or whatever, but my mind just watching it on TV. I'm just like, you can't tell me that that's not better. That's not worse than a well kept grass field. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, my instinct is grass is better. Uh, that's just my way i just just curious i didn't know if you heard anything about that or or not i've heard it you know the the issue that that texas has had consistently is they've not been able to keep them alive and yeah and for whatever reason i mean go hire some freaking aggies i was about to say why don't we just go down the road <laughs> oh man uh but yeah i mean dude if you can't find some good landscapers in texas What's what's the point of having an open border? <laughs> Pretty tough there. <laughs> Pretty tough. Couple of them, couple of companies out there. Um, yeah, I mean, I've heard the same things, and um, so actually, it's funny. I remember um, high school. I don't. Did you ever like see into the Austin stadiums or anything? Like just being around. Uh, yeah, a couple of them. Uh, I, I, we uh, Yoakum played at House Park after I graduated when I was still in school, so I saw oh, okay. it a couple so, times. House Park was very famous when I was playing for having like baby soft grass. Like somehow when you landed, you just, you might as well have landed on a trampoline. Like you didn't even feel anything. And what's crazy is in the early September uh, evenings, they turn the lights on and the entire field, these black crickets would just emerge from the grass and start crawling around. And you get tackled and you'd be covered in like cricket carcasses and cricket guts. And sometimes you'd have your hand on the ground and like literally a cricket would start crawling on it. And interesting. I remember one time distinctly playing Austin LBJ and their quarterback came up and he's, you know, ready, set, he's doing his signals. And the center just shoots up like, like he'd seen a ghost and he's like, man, crickets, crickets. And he's like flinging his hands around in the corner. I mean, there's like whistles blowing and flags. And he's like, they, crickets. He's like, he's like, he's acting like they were fire ants or something, but just like a cricket crawled across his hand when he was about to, to snap it. Gonzalez had a tarantula issue one year, <laughs> not like an army of them or anything, but there was like multiple baseball games that were halted because an outfielder throw his hands up, like, got another one. No so. way. Yeah, that's not as good as the cricket story. That's, no, that's, well, that's a lot better. Tarantulas at least pose some sort of you get a nasty bite, and they yeah. uh, and they're actually. Have you ever picked up a tarantula? Absolutely not. So if if you irritate them, they can shoot their hairs at you, and their hairs are like spiky. Is that where Spider Man came from? No, that's not. He shoots oh. webs, Randy. 
Same thing. No, it's not. No, Randy. (laughs) No. Sorry, I didn't mean to get into Marvel Comics. Don't disrespect Spider-Man. Just don't even get me started on the Marvel franchise, how they've abused that character. They've misused it. Spidey is your friendly neighborhood teenager. We we I was watching Spidey a while ago, and uh, we actually had Spider Man run through the house full full gear, ready for for Halloween. He's a little early, but nice. Are are you? Oh, hey, last. I'm sorry. I can always talk to you forever, man. Last question: Are you going to coach your kids in sports? To be determined. Uh-huh. Um, I would like to. We'll see how time management and all that plays out, and where we are in life at that point in time. But yeah, I would like to, I um, mean, my, my dad coached me growing up um, till I was about 13 baseball. Uh, I didn't do anything else really baseball, basketball, but that was all school related stuff. Uh, but yeah, I would like to, um, or at least be involved as much as possible. Um, but I, I, unless I was like a high school coach or something like that, I think there's a, you know, a natural progression to kind of, okay, now you're kind of turn them loose or so to speak or whatever, you know, at a certain age where you don't, you know, coach unless it's your profession. So I don't know. I don't know what that cutoff would be for me or whatever, but, uh, but yeah, I'd like to like to do it for no reason really other than selfishly being around them as much as possible. Yeah. It's, it's fun. It's rewarding. Um, The dynamic with my son is he's basically uncoachable from me. So I've heard that a lot. Yeah. So I will coach him through the other coach. I'll be like, Hey, can you tell him this? And then if he, if that guy tells him, he's like, absolutely. Yeah. Sounds great. And the, the, the crazy thing about my dad coached me was, <laughs> I mean, he had like almost zero sports background whatsoever. Like didn't play sports in high school. Like they played like pickup volleyball games in the little small communities around here was like their main thing. Um, and of course, you know, they played schoolyard baseball and stuff like that, but he, uh, he did a little like time in the army and that was basically his mentality is like, Hey, we're going to do this. We're going to do it right. We're going to drill it until we can do it right. Yeah. And you know, you ran through first base and we had one bunt defense and you know, there was no coming out of the dugout with blue 37 on one pitch and red 26 on the next one. It was, Hey, there's a guy on first <laughs> bunt defense for the guy on first. Um, so is you know people ask me all the time about that but it was, it was pretty cool because like i said he he spent a whole whole lot on a lot of time on uh on baseball fields that he probably didn't uh anticipate his life being you know what's crazy is um i had a friend who ended up getting a college scholarship in baseball from his and his dad had no background in baseball hated it didn't understand the sport like he didn't know how many outs there were right but his son expressed a mild interest in it when he was like six. So he bought every Tom house video, every yep. winning kids baseball video. And he, he was an engineer and he just religiously broke it down and did all the drills and you know, the, the like the trash can at home play oh, yeah. and you have him standing out in the outfield and like all of that. And t- like taught this kid baseball from the ground up. And like, okay, today we're working on the following. And he had a plan written on the fridge and, and the kid got good at baseball and like had super high baseball IQ and got a college scholarship. Pretty funny. No, it's, it's crazy. Like good teachers can teach. Yeah. 
if, if you can teach it to yourself, you can teach it to somebody else. And it's just figuring out how to get it across. That's why it seems everybody's on the like, oh, he was a player. That doesn't mean he's a good coach, whatever it's like. Any, anybody can do it. It just takes the skill of being able to communicate it and getting the buy-in to, to do it, really. You know what I mean? Having the experience as a player is nice. Having the experience as a coach is nice, but it's not mandatory. I, I think you need to get your kids watching Eastbound and Down, and get the right. this is this is how it's done right here. Get this house done. This is a this is a winner's mentality. We just need to do it in reverse, where they start in Mexico and then go to the big leagues. When he becomes La Flama Blanca, yeah, the get, the, get the good nickname down there, and then come to the big leagues so they can play the trumpet like the guy in uh, in New York. <laughs> what was your nickname in Venezuela? And I don't think I had one. Sorry, it's not very good pod podcast material, but I don't think we had one. You could have lot. You say like I was El Jaguar. I could, I could have, but that that I would be misleading to people. Paul, when I put a squeeze on the batter, they never recovered. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't think we ever had anything. Gringo. <laughs> yeah, you probably heard that quite a bit. That that was the most popular name. <laughs> Hey, just uh, some advice. I wouldn't head down to Venezuela anytime soon again. For this it team. was a little dicey the last time I went down there in uh, 2015 or oh, whatever whoa, last year. Yeah. That was. Things were starting to turn. 2016. Thankfully, that year we were on. Uh, I was on Margarita Island for the home team. Oh, that's good. So that was much nicer. Uh, but yeah, when we flew in, we flew into Caracas for that road series. It's like, oh, this is not the same place as three years ago, and it wasn't great three years ago. So. Yeah. Yeah. You might want to skip out on that team reunion in 2020. Yeah. No, I don't, I don't have any plans on, uh, on heading down there anytime soon. All right, Randy, I could do this all night, man. We're recording this Monday evening. Randy was kind enough to uh, put aside some time after a hard day working, hit the dog park with his cappuccino and his, <laughs> what, Frenchie, your French bulldog. Uh, what are the little, uh, the little mini poodles? Oh, or Cavalier King Charles Spaniel. That's there you a, go. That's a better good, one. Let's go I'm with trying that. to think of like good ranch dogs. Yeah, they're definitely known for their ferociousness out on the ranch. <laughs> all right, Randy. Hey, all joking aside, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, man. Enjoy it, man. Thanks thanks for having me. And uh, it was fun talk a little football. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to have you back. I want to I wanna get your football insights because you've got, you've got great opinions. Not Obviously, baseball, you're – expert but you got great opinions on football you got great opinions on sports in general because you i think you see them broadly right and i think it's useful to to talk to you because it's a good you know sometimes you can get lost in the weeds and you'll be like hey man uh we might just want to like run that play again <laughs> <laughs> sometimes it, sometimes it can be simple not that it is but sometimes it can be <laughs> it's a very good point man all right well we uh kept it simple for y'all for Randy Boone, I'm Paul Wadlington saying hook them. Thanks, y'all. Hook them, everyone.